This podcast is sponsored by Uncana, trusted natural solutions. Uncana is a leading voice of advocacy for CBD in the veteran LEO and federal communities. Veteran owned and operated, the Uncana team is actively fighting for DOD access to CBD with political pressure, community support, and a simple message. Hashtag OpNatural. Uncana is vertically integrated with industry leaders from seed to sell, supplying premium small batch products to America's best. Use code MENTORS4MIL the number four, M-I-L, at checkout at uncana.com to receive your amazing discount. Read the Mentors for Military disclaimer at mentorsformilitary.com slash disclaimer. Thanks again to everyone supporting us on the podcast through Patreon. Patreon allows our listeners an opportunity to contribute to the podcast and allow us to bring you great guests and content each week. Thank you to all of our patrons and a special shout out to Jonathan Lambert for being our largest donor. You too can become a patron by visiting patreon.com slash mentors, the number four M-I-L. This is the Mentors for Military podcast. Uh, this is fantastic. Thank you so much for having me, guys. And I've talked to a majority of y'all. Scott, I think you're the only one I haven't had the pleasure of speaking with. So great to meet you. So we're all veterans here, um, all Army. For three of us are Army. Uh, we'll count the Welsh guy as uh, Army as well. Nikki, uh, Navy, and then, of course, you know, the the other branch, Marine Corps, which is where you come into play, Tim. So you're going to have to share with us the whole story and everything, because as I understand it, first, let me set up everything. Tim, I think it was earlier this year, you became the president of Grunt Style. And Grunt Style is the largest veteran-owned apparel company uh, in the United States. Um, the business started, I think, is, if I understand it correctly, about 2009 with $1,200 uh, and now I think your operating revenue is well over a million, a hundred million dollars a year. And you came into the company very interestingly. And I want to talk about that here in just a minute, because it was a, you know, you go from your military career, you have a, a transition period, which everybody goes through. I went through it. Everybody on the podcast here goes through it. And so I want to kind of dive into that. But before you ever got to grunt style, that Marine Corps period, what was it that got you into the Marine Corps? Um, well, I think it's a, it's a fantastic story. Um, you know, my grandfather was a World War II veteran and one of those things of that generation, you know, they never talk about. Yeah. And uh, I remember very fondly as a young man that I was going through some of my grandparents stuff in the basement. I came across this cigar box and it was interesting. I was like, oh, this is out of the ordinary. What's it doing down here? So I opened it up and it had all my grandfather's medals in it. And it was from his time in the Army Air Corps. And, uh, you know, interestingly enough, uh, as a young kid, I was like, oh, this is cool. So I was like, oh, that was pretty interesting, right? I uh, got this box full of metals dusted, tucked away in a corner. And uh, so I took it home with me, uh, unbeknownst to my grandfather. And uh, my mother had bought me an Encyclopedia Britannica set. And I spent a long period of time just looking up these uh, ribbons and metals and got to come very familiar with them all. Um, and over the period of time, I started setting them up on the, the sequential order in which they would go. And... Uh, Made it all look nice, brought it back to my grandfather, and uh, it's like, here, and the, this look on his face was un unbelievable. Like, there's a lot of emotion, anger, frustration, sadness, a little bit of joy, not much. 
Um, and in the, he kind of scolded me saying, hey, what are you doing going through my stuff? Da, 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 and never spoke about it ever again. Um, and fast forward a couple of years, uh, I got to the point where I was a senior in high school. Uh, I didn't really like schooling. It wasn't really challenging. You know, I was that guy that uh, was sleeping most of the time in school, but I would score very high. Uh, my senior year I only had to take one class. So, you know, uh, I spent a lot of time doing things that I'm not particularly proud of uh, as, you know, I'm older these days. Um, but I told my mom, I was like, I don't want to go to college. I want to do something different. And uh, I was like, I think I want to join the Marine Corps. And my mom got really upset. And she's like, why would you want to do that? And I was like, well, you know, Grandpa was in the, in the, the Army Air Corps. And, you know, nobody in, the mil- in our family ever joined the military. So she's like, well, before you uh, do this, there's something I want you to do. And she took, a, took me on a road trip to uh, Washington, D.C. during Memorial Day weekend. Oh, wow. And uh, I was, you know, 16, 17 years old. And you know, saw this uh, amazing, the most amazing thing I've ever seen in my life, right? Uh, you saw 68,000 Vietnam veterans driving down Pennsylvania Avenue on motorcycles. I'd never seen that many people in one location in my life, and I was enamored. I was at all. Um, and it was, it was a very powerful moment. And then we you know, kind of made our way down the National Mall into the um, uh, Vietnam Wall area, Memorial area. And um, it was that time that I saw my mother cry for the first time, not out of tears of me causing them, uh, more so of her um, out of the, a sadness I'd never seen before. And, you know, she copied nearly every person's name, every male that she went to high school with out of off the wall. And uh, it was a very powerful moment for me. Um, and on, on the drive home, she's like, you know, we, we're just having this long conversation. And uh, she's like, is this really what you want to do? And I was like, mom, after seeing this, you know, after seeing the emotional response that, you know, that, that, that this thing that you took me to do this weekend drew out of you, I think more than ever, this is really what I want to do. Yeah. Um, and she was behind me ever since. She's been my, my biggest champion, my biggest advocate, uh, my biggest cheerleader. Um, and uh, that really started my path into the Marine Corps. Yeah, no, that's an awesome story. So I want to go back. Did you go to the World War II Memorial, or was it existing at that time frame? Uh, it did not exist. Okay. Um, you know, funny story about that is uh, that was one of the very first events that I was actually involved with Grunt Style at the time. And uh, if you remember, uh, during that time period, the sequestration was happening. Um, and we caught wind that they were shutting down all the monuments down in the <clears throat> National Mall, which was really offensive because you, you got to think of this, like the, the World War II Memorial had probably just opened. Uh, it wasn't very old. Uh, and you have all these honor flights happening where, you know, these companies across the United States were getting World War II veterans and flying them into D.C. to see this monument that was built for them. Yeah. And, you know, the... We all understand, you know, we all have our opinions about government, but the one thing that uh, I, I thought was unfair and what Grunstall thought was unfair was that they were shutting these monuments down to the people that actually participated in these events, which was which, which was an absolute shame. Uh, so uh, Grunstall paired with another organization and we ended up bringing 15,000 combat veterans down to uh, the National Mall. And uh, we took every barrier from the Vietnam Memorial, the Korean War Memorial, the World War II Memorial, uh, the Iwo Jima Memorial, uh, the Lincoln Memorial, and we carried all of them down to the White House and threw them over the fence into the White House lawn. <laughs> no, yeah, you didn't. Yeah. Yeah. It, was, it was absolutely amazing. Oh, that that's a great story. So when that happened and you decided to go back, did you check out all the services before you came in or you just decided... 
from something that you saw on the wall that day that, okay, I want to go ahead and join the Marine Corps. Yep. Yeah. Um, you know, I think, you know, at that time period that I, I wanted to be, I wanted to uh, challenge myself. Right. And I didn't think that the other branches of service had that challenge. And, you know, I think it, a lot of it was to the pre uh, indoctrination of some of the movies I had watched, like Full Metal Jacket uh, and some of these uh, Marine uh, war conflict movies. Um, and, you know, I thought that was going to be the biggest challenge uh, that I would have to come across in my life at that time period. And uh, I certainly wasn't wrong because when uh, I got to uh, Marine Corps Recruit Depot, Paris Island, uh, my life uh, certainly changed. Oh, yeah, I bet it did. <laughs> so did they still have the sign there that says you better give your soul to Jesus because your ass is ours? <laughs> I can't recall, but uh, I, I, will remem- I do remember crossing the causeway. Uh, you go over the channel into Paris Island. And, uh, you know, I remember the drill instructor saying very, very passionately, there's only one way off this island, and that's through graduation. You get to take the bus off the, off the island or, you know, ride with your families, whatever, uh, whatever the case may be. But, uh, you know, during swim, swim call, they, they would tell some fantastic stories. I don't believe that any of them are true. Um, but one of them was, uh, you know, uh, only one person has ever made it off the island, and they came back to be a swim instructor. <laughs> 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 what was the MOS that you ended up going into? Was it 0311 or did you go into another MOS? Uh, I started out as a 1833 Amtracker. Um, as a, I signed a contract as an 0311 going in, uh, but uh, you know, as a young as a young man and experimenting with drugs, I had uh, popped on a piss test and had to get a waiver. Uh, but uh, and then uh, they, I lost my original job, so they I got Amtrak's, which was still combat support. And mechanized infantry, if you will. Uh, so I got uh, I got in with that and uh, went to school in uh, Del Mar, California, at Camp Pendleton, which was absolutely amazing. Oh, yeah. uh, Seventy-five degrees, you know, majority of the time, no bugs. Um, <laughs> yeah, from and, what you uh, just left with all the fleas. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, the sand fleas and the fire ants. Yeah, like, oh, my yeah. God. <laughs> um, but yeah, that was that was a fun job. Uh, it got assigned to Second Assault Amphibian Battalion. Uh, did my uh, first enlistment um, over there, and nothing really exciting always field opportunities and you know um which you know if anybody out there listening uh you uh, can appreciate garrison marine corps life is awful <laughs> you are like the only thing you're killing is bacteria so you stayed in the marine corps how long because you left in 2001 in may of 2001 on that initial enlistment Yep. So, uh, you know, I left, um, you know, my, my family had relocated from, uh, North Carolina back to get to Chicago where our greater family was from. Uh, and I, I took, uh, uh you know, begrudgingly took the, the road back home to Chicago, um, and got into the carpenters union, uh, which was a lot of fun. Um, and, uh, it was during that time period, uh, I was still, um, you know, a helper, not even a first year apprentice, when uh, September 11th happened, and I remember this day like it was yesterday, where we were working at uh, the what is considered the New Cook County Hospital or Strozier Hospital, and um, we're listening to a man called Man Cal Muller. He was a local radio personality, and uh, he cuts in and you know does this bit, and we all thought like, oh man, that's that's kind of morbid. Why, why would you even think that's something funny to talk about? And then you can hear his voice kind of escalating and escalating, and escalating to the point where. We all started to know that it wasn't uh, a, a radio bit, and all the jobs, uh, all the work stops on the job. Uh, the second plane hit, and you know 
at that point is when I realized and it, it like crashed down on me. I'm like, oh my God, we're going to be going to war and I'm no longer in the Marine Corps. Uh, you know, like everything I ever wanted to do, right, uh, as a young, ignorant uh, individual. Um, so, uh, you know, it was, uh, wasn't was soon after that that I went back through the processes of uh, getting back into the Marines and uh, got in with an INI station in Chicago um, and uh, learned that the unit that the INI was actually attached to, 2nd Battalion, 24th Marines, uh, was getting spun up to go on deployment in 2004. So uh, I was like, hey, I, I got to get on this deployment. I got to go. And uh, I was married. Um, my uh, wife at the time was, uh, uh, she was in the Navy. So she, she appreciated what I was uh, trying to do. And, um, you know, started talking to the uh, INI commander. And I was like, hey, I want to be on this. And I'm like, well, there's no unto slots for non infantry individuals. I'm like, well, that's simple enough. Make me an infantryman. So, uh, I got attached to the unit and um, you know, during pre-workups, uh, OJT'd, uh, which is on the job training for 0311 and earned my secondary prime OS, uh, my secondary MOS is 0311 before I deployed. Oh, that is crazy. Well, of course, you started off going to go down that direction in the first place. So Yeah, yeah. There yeah. you go. So it was, you finally it was full get- circle. It was great. <laughs> <laughs> so when you take off, you uh, get deployed over to Iraq and... Um, after coming back from that, what was it like trying to to come back again from combat? And of course, I think at that time frame, you also made a you made a transition once again, right? Yeah, right. yeah. Uh, I would say you know my experiences from getting back. You know, we were talking you know early you know two thousand five, right? Uh, a lot of the support systems and networks uh, that exist today didn't exist then, um, and I would say that um, you know. My experience is not unique. It was probably similar to a lot of people that are coming off of that uh, that time period, and it was awful. Right, uh, I couldn't adjust. Um, you know, I, I re- became a recluse. Uh, started affecting my personal life. Started affecting my professional life. Um, you know, couldn't sleep. I was having nightmares all the time. Uh, my wife would, I, you know, I'd sleep on the couch and she'd wake me up with a broomstick because I was just so chaotic. Uh, she caught me in the backyard, you know, walking perimeter patrols and, you know, my skivvies and, you know, shit like that. And, you know, it was really an awful period of time and started making some really bad decisions. Uh, got back into alcohol and drugs and, you know, really like my life was crashing down to the point where, um, you know, got a divorce, um, you know, in that time period, you know, uh, when I was deployed, I had a, uh, my son was born and, uh, I didn't know how to be a dad. Right. That was, that was really awful. Um, and my anger and my rage, you know, wasn't very healthy for that, uh, environment. Um, and, uh, you know, ended up getting a divorce from my wife and you know, I had a, a daughter, uh, you know, thinking that that was going to be able to get me grounded and whatever the case may be there. Um, but uh, yeah, so ended up losing my family, uh, lost my house. You know, a lot of bad things happened during that time period. Put a gun in my mouth. Um, it was you know messed up on VA medications and the cocktails of trazodone. Uh, God, there's just a whole mess of, of medicines that I was on. It got to the point where I woke up uh, 99 miles away from my house, coming home from work one day, and didn't know how I got there. And uh, you know I was like, this has got to change. I got to do something different. Um, and uh, got myself on a, on a path, you know, that I had already planned out for myself, but uh, kind of walked away from and uh, quit my job in the union. Um, you know, uh, met uh, my current wife now, who's absolutely been a savior to me. Um, 
and went to um, uh, went to college. I got my degree, uh, my bachelor's degree in college, uh, in game theory. Uh, so f- pursuing a path of something that I always enjoyed was video games, and um, started a comic book company, <laughs> of all things. Wow, I never knew that. <laughs> so how did how did that work out? Uh, it was good. Uh, you know, I was uh, I always you know from you know my childhood I always had a passion for drawing and I uh, always create these little comic strips and stuff like that. And I have you know stuff from years and years ago where I, I created some comic books of my own. Uh, and then uh, you know got in with a, uh, a good group of guys I went to school with and we started this gig. Um, published seven comic books. Um, and you know, I was constantly being asked to to be in C two E two and uh, Wizard World as a, an artist. So you know, it, that was pretty cool. Um, but the the thing that was happening was I wasn't making any money. Yeah. So you yeah. don't have a business if you're not making money. No. no. And my wife's like, you need a job. I'm like, but babe, I've got a job. It's fantastic. <laughs> I love it so much. And uh, she's like, well, it's not making any money. So uh, started you know looking around for for work. And uh, wasn't really finding anything during that time period. You know, the economy was starting to recover. Jobs weren't as plentiful as um, as as they are today, actually. And you know, it, it was getting frustrating. I was. It got to the point where I'm I'm applying jobs at Toys R Us to be a dock worker, just oh, so yeah. I can you know, get money. You know? Yeah, we did. We uh, all been there. You know, just yeah. to, to make ends meet or to make it to the point where we can survive. I mean, like you know, you had a, you had a family, uh, whether they were separated or not. You still had to find some way to find support. You had to support yeah. yourself. Was your? I got to ask you though. At this point, was your was your spouse at this time frame? Was she uh, a former, you know, military wife? Did she serve in the military herself? Did she have yeah. any experience or have any idea what she was getting herself into? Uh, not at all. Okay. <laughs> there's a, there's a great story. There's a great story about that. But uh, we 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 ended up uh, meeting at a bar that we both worked at because it, it got to the point where I was like, I'm not sleeping at night, uh, and you know, I have a lot of anger, and you know, so I was like, what's a job that I can stay up at night? make money and vent my frustrations. I'm like, Ooh, how about a bouncer? <laughs> I was just getting ready to say per- perfect matchup. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, so, uh, you know, I took a job at this, uh, bar, uh, that was near my home and it had a big, uh, gang biker gang problem. Uh, the outlaw, uh, biker gang in Chicago was oh, pretty nice. prevalent there. And, um, you know, so over the course of uh, years, I, I was working there and, uh, you know, got their drug problem cleaned up and got a lot of the biker gangs out of there. It became a really respectable joint and to the point where nobody was showing up anymore. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so I did a great thing, but I also probably, you know, put the guy out of business. But, yeah. Yeah. That's uh, right. But uh, the funny thing is, like, when uh, my, I remember the first date that my, my wife and I had went on, and it's kind of a funny story. Uh, I think it's hilarious. My wife was like, oh, you know, typical. Uh, but um, we went to a Cubs game um, in your, uh, with all my Marine friends, and we're in uniform. And uh, it was uh, for Memorial Day uh, baseball game or something like that. And we went to the cubby bear across the street and, you know, is all my Marine friends, all of their wives and significant others. And we're all just having a good time. How it well. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it was really good. So, uh, I go up to the bar and I'm getting a round of drinks for everybody. And this tall, like very tall, beautiful, blonde hair, blue eyed girl. is like, are you a Marine? I'm like, yeah, of course I am. Look at my uniform, right? And she's like, "Oh my God, I've never been kissed by a Marine before." And I'm like, "Okay." <laughs> the first thing about well, that's is, a good line. Okay, right? And her boyfriend or whoever she was with is standing right next to her, 
looks at me, I look at him, and I'm like, yeah, why not? And totally just gave her a kiss, set the whole bar off. <laughs> we get into this big fight, and like all of a sudden are just through deltas, and we're just swinging all over the place. And the funny part is my my current wife now said to all the uh, the Marine wives at the time, she's like, should we get up and help? And all the women said to her, I was like, this is your first time, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, stay away. <laughs> so that was great. I mean, uh, cleared the whole bar out. And uh, luckily enough, we didn't get thrown out. And we had the whole bar to ourselves after that. So after that, you got the number, obviously, and were able to continue that uh, relationship outside of the kiss then. Yeah, yeah. She's she. I think she laughs at it today, but uh, she, you know, it is what it is. It's yeah. Water of the bridge. How long ago was that? <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, I've been, we've been together almost 12 years. Yeah. So, 12 so, years ago. so that was still when the Cubbies weren't doing that well. Yeah. So you were uh, a diehard Cubbies a, fan. I'm not a Cubs fan. She was. Oh, and, okay. Okay. Know. Okay. Okay. You were just going there for the Memorial Day thing. I got you. Yeah. For the drinks. I got you. I got you. <laughs> Uh, so at this time frame, you hit kind of your lowest low, which all of us kind of reach, and you got to pull yourself back up again. And I want to get back to that because I think that's about the time frame, if I understand it correctly, that you actually apply for the graphic design position at GruntStyle. Yep, yep. Um, so I started at GruntStyle in 2013, and um, how that all happened was I was coming to the end of the rope of saying I'm not going to be able to find a job. And, um, you know, I, you know, I was surfing through the internet, um, you know, Craigslist job listings and, um, you know, someone called this ad, it's like veteran, veteran owned, veteran operated, uh, t-shirt apparel brand looking for a graphic designer. I'm like, okay, awesome. Click, open it up and start reading this, um, you know, this, this description. I'm like, oh my God, that's everything I am. I'm, I'm a designer. I know, uh, Photoshop. I know all these, uh, illust Adobe illustrating suites. I have the, st the skills. So I apply still a point of, of, uh, a conversation between Daniel and I to this day. Cause he thinks I applied for the shirt folding position. I'm like, <laughs> why with my skill set would I apply for a shirt folding position? Right. So, um, uh, I go, I bring my portfolio, I'm sitting, I walk in the door, uh, and like, it's the, the whole place is like 600 square feet, right? You've got, uh, the salespeople, you've got the, the fulfillment, you've got the production and it's all in this little room. And I walk in, I'm like, and you could feel the pride just emanating. And there's only five employees at the time. I'm like, wow, this is great. I'm feeling pumped and jazzed. Uh, you know, Daniel meets me, we shake hands. He brings me back to his office. I show him my portfolio. He's like, oh man, this is really good stuff. He's thumbing through it, puts the size like, but this is not what I'm looking for. I'm like, oh my God. Like literally that's the first time in my life that I've ever really felt true disappointment. Man, you didn't right? show him your comic books and everything and say, no, look, man, yeah. look, look, I mean, yeah. I mean, you exactly. were the real deal. You got published. <laughs> exactly. I've shown it all. I'm like, this is everything, man. And uh, he's like, no, that's not what I'm looking for. And he's like, uh, you know, have a good day. I'm like, wow. wow, 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 right? So I'm driving home thinking of what I'm going to tell my wife. And uh, the phone rings and I see it's Daniel. I'm like, well, what, the, what the F does this guy want? He just sent me home, right? Yeah. <laughs> I'm thinking, I'm like, should I answer it? Should I not? I'm driving. I'm like, ah, why not? So I'm like, hey, what's up? And he's like, hey, you know, uh, I've been thinking. And um, there's, there's something about you that, um, you know, that struck me that uh i need you on my team I'm like well you you know just told me that uh you know i don't have what you need it's like well i need you on my team not the graphic design team i'm like okay 
he's like, uh, so, you know, what are you, are you interested? I'm like, well, uh, yeah, what, uh, what do you got? He's like, uh, full and t-shirts. Like, <laughs> well, I can at least go home and say I had a job. Right. So I was like, yeah, sure. Never even asked whether I was going to be getting paid. So he's like, report to work uh, Monday. This was Friday. He's like, report to work Monday morning, 0900, and we'll get you all squared away. And uh, that uh, was the beginning of the the rest of the story, which never in my wildest dreams would I have thought the you know, starting out folding T-shirts uh, to sitting where I am today that that would ever happen. Yeah, no shit. I mean, this is the very beginning, too, of Grunt Style. So this is like, I mean, Daniel, probably six months in, I guess, probably at that time frame, maybe, or a year. No, uh, so Daniel started in 2009. He started the business, and you know, he was. Oh, that's right. Whatever. This is 15 yeah. or so. So this so is 2013. Yeah, 13. So, okay. Uh, what? Uh, four years later. Four yeah. years later. Yeah. Right. And he's doing what every entrepreneur did. I'm gonna start. I'm gonna start a business. I have an idea. Yeah. Right. You know, I'm, I'm leaving the army. I want to take all the values and everything I learned from the military with me, and and I don't want to work for other people. So he he created the idea of Grunt Style. And, you know, was going around, you know, traveling the states, selling out of the back of his car at every military installation that he get access to. And he just wasn't getting the, the momentum. And it got to the point where he's like, you know, I'm, I'm going to do this trade show. And if we do not do six thousand dollars in sales, then I'm gonna sh- we're going to shut the business down. And uh, on the flight back, uh, him and his wife, uh, he's counting the receipts and cleared sixty two hundred bucks. Wow. Oh, well, we made it, right? <laughs> and uh, But it was from that point forward that he, he understood that for this idea to, to really grow, he's not going to be able to do it alone. And that's when he started hiring. And um, you know, I was fortunate enough to be part of that, that very first group of individuals that came through the business. It's a story that you hear far too often, right? With starting yeah. up a new business and entrepreneurs um, who coming out of the military, they have a big dream. They have lofty goals. They may not have a great business plan. They try to put things together. And like most businesses within the first couple of years, they fail. But they don't understand that failing is part of the process, right? And so you sometimes have to suffer through it. Um, the fact yep. that he was able to stick on as he did, you know, 6,200, okay, that's one hurdle. Now let me set a new goal and yep. go for it. And the family stick with it and understand that there's going to be rough times in between. 100%. And, and look where he is today. So, I mean, yep. you think about where you both are and how far you've come. It's a great success story. Yeah, it's it's – you know, again, you know, there's days I wake up and I'm like, wow, what what, what the hell have we created here? Yeah. Um, you know, and we look at this brand and we look at all of the influence that it has in the veteran community. Um, I see the civilian community. Yeah, I mean, I'll be traveling on business or whatever. And you can spot military people from civilians by the way right. they walk, they carry themselves. We're so... And we have to break that, obviously, in a lot of different cases, but we're so identifiable in many cases. And so you see some of these guys, gals or whatever, and you can see the grunt style cross rifles. It's an, you know, it's a recognizable logo that you can see out there everywhere. The first idea was to service the veteran community, right? Sure. Um, and, you know, as, as the brand has evolved over the years, you know, Daniel uh, and I have sat back and we've really looked at a lot of things and said, you know what? I think we have, or we both think that we have this great opportunity that we could take everything that we've learned from the military and start sharing it in a, in a, a bigger spectrum to the, the community at large, right, of Americans and saying, you know what? If you have pride in self, pride in military and pride in country, you don't have to have served in the military to, to wear our brand. Yeah. You're part of the American experience 
already just for having been born here, right? Let's let's celebrate our our values. Let's celebrate our accomplishments, and let's celebrate that we're the greatest goddamn country that's ever been, you know, created in the in the history of mankind. Not to mention the bank will take their money just as well, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, let's be honest here. Uh, why are you narrowing your market when you have this ready-made opportunity? You know, absolutely. absolutely. So good on you guys trying to do it in position in such a way that you could, people who are not serving can actually see it. And, mm -hmm. you know, even for things like this in the podcast, you know, there are people that follow us who are civilians. And so that's what we try to cater to is just anybody, because I think the stories resonate. Even your story is going to resonate with somebody who is a veteran or a non-veteran. I mean, um, who is looking at entrepreneurship or going through some of the same struggles. They see a success success story and they go, okay, what was it that made that such success? So that's my next question to you is what was it? What was the magic potion or the thing that you guys figured out that was the catalyst that started the, the thing going? Um, I think it comes down to three things, right? Uh, set the goals, inspect the results. And the third most powerful thing is get the hell out of the way, right? You have, you have great team members, right? And it, a, a great team has a good leader and the leader understands when to get the hell out of the way. And, um, you know, if you, if you look at any, or take the exercise and look at all the successful teams from McChrystal uh, to Mattis and all these great generals that talk about what makes great teams, it's because the leader gets out of the way. You let the, the, the core group of individuals, the subject matter experts, do their thing, and all you have to do is hold them accountable, and that's it, right? Um, and it creates for opportunities of creativity, uh, most importantly, right? Because what you, what you in, 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 in something like our brand, you know, it's easy, you know, Daniel and I, we came up with a lot of the really great designs early on, right? But that was just to get the fire going. Once that fire was, was, was erupted, it was like, okay, get back. All we have to do is keep throwing fuel on it. By, and that fuel was bringing great people in that understood what the brand, what we were trying to do, understood the mission and, and had a, a passion for it, much like we did uh, and still do, right? So um, outside of failing and people not recognizing failure as a, a tool of success, I'd say that one of the other biggest things that for entrepreneurs is that they don't know when to get the hell out of the way. Yeah. I think you hit the uh, the nail on the head in, in your, your your comment there, Tim. The word accountability, and I think businesses all too often fail because people try and get out of the way, and sometimes it's through laziness uh, as opposed to good leadership. But they don't have that accountability for the right people doing the job, and whether it goes right or whether it goes wrong, it's holding people to account for that, you know, and celebrating success or saying, look, this didn't go very well what went wrong let's learn from it let's move on and move past it and that that word for me accountability is, is the key for it really yeah uh i would rather have more failures than i would success and i'll tell you why because you the the things that you learn from failure is so much more powerful than anything you learn from success because when you're successful you're you're basking in that glory, right? You're like, oh, ha, ha, high hands and, you know, drinking beers, blah, blah, blah. You're not looking at what made it successful. But when you fail, you AAR the hell out of that thing. You're going to drill down into absolutely every detail of that failure. And you're like, okay, could have done this better, blah, 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 blah. And, uh, when you do, uh, and, uh, and during that postmortem, you come up with new strategies and new ideas. When you're 
going through the motions of, of recognizing success, it's okay. I'm just going to keep replicating this because I got that. I got that win. And you know, my primal brain is telling me just continue doing that because I, I don't have to exert more effort. Yeah. I and success any- can come through luck as well. Can it? Yeah. So, you know, you, you could be lucky and, and get successful, but you've, you, you can't go on and repeat that again. Yeah. And, you know, we, we see it in, in all sorts of different industries, whether it be from music to manufacturing to um, healthcare, where someone will come up with something through luck, huge success, overnight success, gone 12 months later, because mm-hmm. they just can't do it again. They haven't, the, there's no learnings behind it. And the, the people who go on to be huge successes and have longevity, you know, and, and build something that's a legacy often there's so much failure involved in that because you learn a lesson every single time you fail at something and you just learn, learn something else, learn something again. And it just rounds you so much as an individual, as a company, whatever it might be. And you, you come out the back end of it stronger without a doubt. I think one of the common things that we've talked about on several of the shows with the leadership aspect is allowing your people to do what they are good at, you know, Mm -hmm. and the leader to, to step away and so many leaders are just, they don't understand. It's a simple concept, but they don't understand that. And I think a lot of them are afraid of failing. And they're so afraid of it that they don't, you know, they micromanage the hell out of everything. And right. they don't let their people be, you know, they don't spark that creativity um, in their people. So, yeah, it's it's a common thing of success is that leader stepping out of the way and letting their people do their thing. So, right. awesome. Yeah, see, people tell me is that it's like, Tim... You know, what we like about you is that uh, you don't, all you want is the baby. You don't want the birthing pains. I'm like, yeah, because I don't, I'm not, I don't like details. Details, you know, you know I, I don't, I don't want to spend my time there, right? That's, I want to give you the idea and say, hey, let's utilize your creativity and in, in your, in what you're really good at, because I'm not good at the things that you're doing. Because if I was, I'd be doing them. Um, and, you know, setting the left and right laterals and saying, don't go here. Don't go here. Here's your budget. Don't overspend. Go create something amazing. Yeah. And, you know, people people run with that every time. Yeah. Well, it also fosters that passion, too, for their jobs. Yeah. So, yeah, it's genius. Some of the uh, best examples I saw was the worst leaders. So when you're observing people who are really bad leaders, if you're paying attention, you'll become a better leader by observing what they're doing wrong, right? And, mm-hmm. and so, you know, like you, I think one of the things that I tried to do with my team is um, that very same thing, spark that creativity, try to give them enough information for them to go out there and build upon that. And you truly find the individuals within your teams who want to aspire to be something bigger than what they are versus those individuals that are just trying to earn a paycheck. Yeah. You know, because yeah. it, they're going to stand out automatically. And and I think that's probably what Daniel saw in you in the very beginning is that, you know, there was something that you were probably conveying him to him through the conversation that you guys had, that you're kind of a, you know, you're passionate about what you do. You're a go-getter. Um, you want to accomplish things um, greater than, you know, maybe even what you were signing up for. You may have conveyed that in some way through that conversation. He saw something there. But then once you got going, I mean, you went from being a t-shirt folder to being president of the company, but you didn't get there overnight. You had to pay Mm. your dues. You had to show each time that you were capable of leading at another level and taking on more profit and loss responsibility. That's a huge responsibility that people in the military don't have to deal with. They deal with budgets, but they don't have to deal with profits and loss. Yeah, 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 for sure. And, you know, 
I look back and I'm like, I think of every every position you know that I've kind of been in in this business, uh, and I'm like, man, I have no right. I have no right doing this. <laughs> like, I don't. I don't have the you know Harvard education. I don't have any business acumen. I'm like, uh, I was an infantryman and I was a construction guy. Why am I running a multi-million dollar business right now? It makes no sense. But at the end of the day, it, it's it's you know I what I think it truly is is that. The Marine Corps taught me something that has lasted with me forever is that through having a great team, you can accomplish anything, right? Mm -hmm. You'll never be able to accomplish something by yourself. Honor, courage, and commitment, you know, that has stuck with me for my entire life, almost to a fault, right? Uh, You know, my fatal flaw is that I'm, I'm loyal, right? Unless you, uh, you know, beat me around like a dog. I'm going to be loyal to the thing that I'm involved with because, you know, when you know, it's been instilled into me that if you're going to commit something, you better commit everything to it because it's not worth your time to do something half-assed. Most definitely. And, and those are good qualities and good traits that I think, like you said, a lot of military people carry with them that they don't understand when they're coming off of active duty and utilized in the right way. And so, you know, I have a lot of, um, you know, people that I know that are veteran supporting companies that hire veterans, but yet they tend to pigeonhole them into specific career fields because they don't believe that they have the skill set to be able to broaden that, right? Yeah. And, My God, yeah. Yeah. And I, you see it all the time as well. And so one of the things I try to do with counsel companies is that you have to look much deeper, deeper than just the surface level. You know, sure, there are a lot of traits or skills and everything that a military person can bring to the table, but you're going to find so much more like you're talking about within that individual that you can teach. I can teach somebody a skill, mm-hmm. but what we're describing here can't always be taught to every individual. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And that's you know, my the, opinion. Yeah. You're, I'm 100% with you because there is nothing that burns my ass more than hearing of the typical military taps, you know, uh, exit program of, Hey, you're an infantryman. Why don't you go be a police officer? Yes, exactly. Get the fuck out of here, right? Yeah. You have such more skill sets than being just a police officer or a security officer or something along those lines, right? You have you have or you have organizational leadership, management, task management. Uh, you got all these different qualities that you, we should be focusing on. Not saying, oh, here's you know, uh, okay, you're a bulk fuel specialist. Uh, go work in the diesel community. No. No, why don't you? Because what the private industry is dying for is people coming into the private workforce that have these types of leadership skills that are not taught in college, right? You can give anybody a degree, right? You see it every day. You you get people going to get degrees for goddamn theology. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> anything. Well, right? it used to be liberal arts was the main one. Yeah, you know, exactly. years ago. But you know, when when they get into the workforce, they don't have anything in regards to you know, taking a Lance Corporal or uh, some army equivalent. I don't know your rank structure. It's very foreign to me, uh, but you, you find something. Equivalent. Army is so much similar to the Marine Corps. What are you talking about? It's a Navy that gets me kind of crazy. I, have- I get the, I get the Navy. Like it's uh, you know, uh, it's second. It's like the looking at the back of my hand, <laughs> looking at, looking at uh, the army rank structures, like looking at, you know, uh, you know, some, I don't know. I don't even. I don't even know it in, in uh, something to refer to, but it's foreign. It's foreign. It's weird. Okay. All right. <laughs> Air Force. 
I don't know. I find the army. We have private, PFC, corporal, sergeant, staff sergeant. Yeah, it's the same. <laughs> you have two corporals. Like, why do you have two? Corporals? Well, I don't understand that either. That was that stupid <laughs> specialist rank they came up with a long time ago. Now imagine this back when it was spec five, as well as sergeant, spec six, as well as right. staff sergeant. I mean, then it was just crazy. Yeah. You know, so I think that all came from, I don't know, back in World War II days or something <laughs> of that time frame. I, I agree with you there. Air Force and Navy are the two that I'm, you, you got to count. The, what I do is I count the stripes, you know, like on um, Air Force and stuff. I count the number of stripes and I think you subtract one. I don't know, something <laughs> like that. You know, Navy, it's, you know, you count the stripes. It's on the sleeve. Okay, then if it's that, then then it goes with the crow. And if you got the crow, then it's, the you know. Fire, as well. you know yeah, great. exactly. You know, you yeah. so you, you got to try to figure this whole thing out. But uh, but anyway, I get what you're saying. I, I, it's that's, it's that's not as cut and dry. Yeah. You know, I wanted to join the Navy originally, but when I saw their ranks, I was like, what is a gunnery sergeant, third class, petty officer, triple? Yeah. <laughs> join the Army. And bell bottoms. And my ASVAB score yeah. was high enough. Yeah. Oh, there you, the go. there yeah. you go. The bell bottoms got me. I was like, dude, those went yeah. out a long time ago. I'm over that. <laughs> <laughs> and he like wore that only, funny hat. I don't get it. They were the yeah. only like female flattering uniform, though. All the rest of them were just terrible. Yeah. <laughs> And then there's that. Then I guess so. Yeah, maybe that's what it was. Anyway, uh, getting back to it. So your success has catapulted to, uh, you to where you are. And, and one of the things that I also wanted to talk about is not just your success of where you've gotten and how well Grunt Style is doing as a veteran brand organization, but also your time when you were in Iraq. I'm curious to know, since we have Chelsea from Hunter 7 on here, what were some of the challenges that you may have experienced or seen from the burn pits and the things that are going on? Because you've probably seen recently where uh, Congress is passing a lot of legislature and everything and, and talking more and more about the effects of not just the burn pits. We're now starting to get into the medication that was taken as vaccinations yeah. as part of going overseas. I'm curious yeah. to get your thoughts on that as a veteran. Well, I think it's uh, I think it's pretty important. I think it's, you know, uh, one from a per personal standpoint, I'm, 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 there's so many people that in my 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 very small space of friends that it's affecting. Right, uh, my colonel uh, passed away this year. Uh, my exo has stage four brain cancer. He'll be gone here very soon. Uh, so that's my command my command line gone from this. Uh, my best friend, uh, my rack mate, uh, my the guy that I trained with in my pre-deployment became my dearest friend. Dead. Um, you know, there's, you know, 15 other people in my, in my unit that are suffering from this right now. Uh, I've got some leg issues that's happening, uh, with some, uh, probably chloracne that, that's happening to me. Um, you know, I think that, um, it's a big problem, right? Uh, you know, when we were in Iraq, uh, we're talking 2004, 2005, you know, so not only do we were dealing with the wild west of the, of the battle space, but we also had uh, logistics issues that nobody knew how to, you know, uh, manage the footprint that we were creating, you know, from all of the uh, things that we were consuming and utilizing. And we, you know, where do you, where do you go? What do you do with it? Where does it go? Um, you know, from the also the, you know, during pre-workups, getting the smallpox, uh, mm -hmm. the, the anthrax, right? You, when you're sitting there and you're getting, 
you know, a uh, smallpox shot and they say, yeah, just, uh, you know, stay away from anybody and, uh, you know, don't let them, uh, don't, don't touch anybody with this. That's probably a problem, right? Or when you're getting an anthrax shot and they say, hey, you know what? Every blood vessel in your body, you're about to feel it. And you're sitting there and you're, you're screaming in absolute rage. And it's uh, shot one of an eight round series that you have to go through. Um, probably, you know, not something very healthy that we should be giving to all of our Americans. Uh, or service members. So, you know, uh, I think that, you know, with what is a, is happening, you know, burn pits is obviously the biggest thing, right? That's, that's uh, every, every service member in the last 18 years has been exposed to that. So that's going to be the, you know, the, the agent orange of, of this Absolutely. generation's warfighter. Yep. Um, and, you know, uh, I was reading, you know, uh, some statistics, um, they were being shared with me through great groups like uh, the 107 Foundation and other people that we're working with. Um, you know that uh, you know there's been less than 10,000 combat deaths in the, the almost 20 years of combat, but there's been over 200,000, or I'm sorry, over 100,000 people have died uh, from you know exposure to the toxic elements that you know from burn pits, from you know the exposure of the chemicals, uh, from the permethrin. Right, the permethrin that was sprayed on all of our uniforms to keep away the sand fleas. Hey, listen, I was exposed to sand fleas in, in Iraq or in Paris Island. That didn't kill me. Why do I need to get my chemicals doused in, you know, some cancerous uh, foreign substance uh, to keep that uh, working for me when I could probably just wear uh, 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 a flea collar on my leg and, and that will be enough, right? <laughs> right. So you know, it's it's these types of things that I think there has been a dis a huge disservice to um, you know our, our our combat and you know just you know, American uh, service members that um, it's going to be it's going to be a huge problem and you know to to all my friends that have passed away uh, over the years you know it's, uh, that's why I want to be involved because you know, there those, those those guys didn't have a voice. Yeah, my hope is that when decisions were made somewhere at some time about the things that we're describing here, there wasn't a discussion around collateral damage and that we're talking about a certain percentage may have an effect, but yet it's not something that we need to concern ourselves with because we all know those decisions do have an impact. And I mean, we've talked about this before in terms of like auto manufacturers, you know, and businesses like that who make decisions that they know could cause a problem and a recall later on, but they're willing to take the chance because the likelihood of that has been statistically proven that it's probably very minimal and therefore we shouldn't worry about it. But the repair is going to be astronomical. So therefore, we're willing to set aside funds to offset being sued later on, you know, those types of things. And we have yeah. the same kind of crisis that goes into the VA. And we all know sitting here of watching what happened to Agent Orange, how long it took before Vietnam veterans were able to actually start even claiming veteran, uh, Agent Orange as part of yeah. their problems and symptoms. And yeah. we saw this too with Desert Storm, you know, yeah. these same types of effects. Well, I think it, it, it's so, you know, let's 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 think about the federal government, right? Uh, you know, from the inception of uh, you know, the federal government and, and, and <laughs> the relationship that they've had with the people that actually go to fight the wars that they can't solve, right? Because our job begins where the politicians fail. Um, is, you know, there, there really hasn't been uh, a great backing and belief of, of what those, because we're just tools, 
Mm-hmm. We're just tools in the in the government's eyes, right? We're there. We're there to solve an end to the mean, right? Um, and you know, the damage that comes along with it, I don't think that's really has ever been a concern in in the length of the United States. You can go back to almost every uh, conflict and find something that has affected great groups of veterans. Uh, that they have suffered through after the conflict is long and over and everybody has forgotten about uh, the, the conflict itself. Um, and I don't think that's going to be something that ever ends. And that's that's where, you know, why I, I've, I've taken a particular involvement in this is because, great, let's talk about what has happened. Let's talk about the burn pits. Let's talk about the toxic exposure. Let's talk about all the things that, you know, that we've gone through and that we're suffering with. But the conversation at the end of the day should be, what are we going to do to prevent this happening in the future? Yeah. Right. Let's, let's change the way that the government thinks about how the modern warfighter, because, you know, I don't, I, it's already happened to me, right? I'll, I'll, I might be a statistic here in a couple of years. I don't know, but I don't want my son or my daughter uh, to have to experience that when we, when we has uh, have the opportunity as a generation that has the most affected individuals and the loudest voice through technology and the and the and the technology that has been given to us in this world to use against the government to say we're no longer to stand for this. Let's let's use our collective voices and be a deterrent for change. Be something that can say we want to see things happen to where this type of situation is not going to be affecting future warfighters because the United States is you know not going to stop you know being in conflict. Right, being the torchbearer of freedom and liberty, unfortunately, has a, a huge responsibility to that, which you know is going to put Americans at risk of being in a a, a a hot kinetic environment for the length of its existence. Yeah. So, what are we going to do to change that? So, I'll throw that to you, Chelsea, because I also want you to um, give a little bit of information about what we're describing. Some people may be listening to this, not following the news, or hearing what's going on that what we're describing and affecting veterans. And I know Hunter Seven Foundation played a role in that and providing, you know, um, some data or some input into the discussions. And so, br- kind of bring us up to date so that people who are listening go, "Wow, this this may even affect me," and I had no idea what what they were even describing. Yeah. So, I mean, I can't even take credit for it by myself. I mean, Nikki's been great. You know, Tim has been great. And um, actually how I, I came across Tim was the uh, the widow of the original Hunter 7, you know, Sergeant Major Rob Bowman was in a meeting room with Tim and and uh, she met him. And, you know, she said, I met the owner of Grunt Style and it was all just one big circle. And, um, you know, and he's right. History will repeat itself. We are quick to forget things like, you know, that's, that's one of the things that we talk about failure. You know, we failed as a nation. We've been at war for almost um, 19 years. You know, we failed our veterans and uh, you know, we can, we can't prevent, like Tim said, we can't prevent the exposures that have happened, but you know, I know uh, Nikki and myself both, both share this um, ideology that as nurses, you know, we can make a difference uh, moving forward. Um, we can make a difference when we look at things like how can we plan long term? You know, right now the government says they only have nine active burn pits overseas. We know we know that's not true. You know, they don't take into accountability, you know, um, Africa, the Horn of Africa, um, Djibouti, uh, you know. So when they say we only have nine active burn pits, they're just talking about the ones that we as as um, the military as that we burn. But they're not considering the um, the Iraqi, uh, you know, the Iraqi population burning the trash for cheap money. 
you know, two bucks a day in there. They're burning the trash right outside the base. They call that, you know, an, an Iraqi government issue, not an American burn pit, even though they're all burning American stuff under American watch. So nine active burn pits is a, is a huge understatement. And um, it's crazy because when I do meet with people, um, both in the medical community, on the legislative side, they have no idea what I'm talking about. And you talk to somebody who hasn't served in this capacity and they think that you're, they think you're out of your mind when you say, no, we literally dig a hole, throw JP8 or JP4 and we throw a match in and we just toss everything. Now in the medical uh, aspect of it, I threw the, the, the medications in there. You know, I, I threw, uh, you know, diesel gasoline bags that weren't used, uh, you name it, everything, uh, MREs, <laughs> you know, and they, they used to tell us that if you, you've got to use your MRE packet, you can't just throw it away because it's so biohazardous <laughs> and it's like, we're burning it. Right. So, um, that made it I okay think, though. Yeah, I know. <laughs> we're burning it right next to where we sleep. And, it's you know, it's the ultimate police call. It's, yeah. Yeah. And so I was aviation. So when we did FOD walks, we just collect it in a bag and then throw it all, you know, like FOD walks we did hourly, I think because of a sandy environment, you know, we're, we're consistently worried about destroying billion dollar helicopters. So we're doing FOD walks like it's no tomorrow. Um, that's where I got my most exercise in the military, <laughs> but yeah, it's it's a bad, bad situation. And, you know, thankfully, you know, we have people like Nikki. And I mean, I sent uh, a few pieces over to her and, you know, just her input and just having the eligibility to have such a, a group look into this from so many different perspectives. You know, um, I think it's it's great. Yeah, because Nikki's seen this firsthand. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's her her story about the aftermath on the oncology floor right yeah. right right yeah. the aftermath well i mean i think one of the you know the important thing is yes prevention for our future warfighters but also right now i think a problem is awareness and what veterans have been exposed to because there's a you know a lot of times and seeing this and i'm sure you have chelsea in the hospitals you get a certain age demographic and they come in with very vague symptoms and they automatically get written off yep. you know, like oh Always. it's just a a headache or it's just a cold or whatever. Yeah. And not taking into account what we've been exposed to. So it's important that not only, you know, the health healthcare professionals know about what we've been exposed to potentially. And, you know, statistics of like, why are these people coming back with these type of cancers and, you know, which isn't like typical, right. You know, these very strange diseases and illnesses and, you know, not to write them off because a lot of times these things that if they were caught early, you know, a lot of these people would still be alive. They're treatable, but because they keep getting written off and sent home and sent home and you're nothing's wrong with you or you're crazy for thinking something's wrong with you, you know, by the time they really see, you know, or they find the disease, it's, it's already too late. So and a, a lot of it, they blame on the, the psychosomatic. Oh, so you're a veteran, you know, and it's, it's not so much them being ignorant. Part of it is, but a lot of it's lack of understanding. And I mean, an interesting story that kind of set off um, a light bulb in my head. I was I was working in the ED, in the ER, and um, I had a, a younger guy come in, and he said that he was having shortness of breath and chest pain, and he's had a cough for six months. And I was like, okay, you're dramatic. You know, I didn't take, I was like, all right, okay, you probably have a cold, you know. And so the doctor gave him um, a Z-pack, you know, some steroids, some antibiotics. And so I'm doing his discharge paperwork, 
And I actually turn and I look at him and he's wearing a grunt style shirt. So I noticed the sleeve and I noticed the, um, the flag. And I was like, oh, did you serve in the military? You know, just making conversation because it's awkward sitting there for two minutes not saying anything. And he said, yeah, I was a military police officer. I served in uh, Abu Ghraib, the prison, for, for two years. And I was like, oh, how was that? And he's like, oh, you know, the prisoners, they swear at you, they spit at you. And I was like, oh. And I don't know what it was, but I was like, oh, my God. You know, cough something up for me. And he was like, what? And he coughed it up for me. I've never seen it before in my entire life. I was like, oh, this is, you know, this doesn't look right. You know, it's definitely bacterial. <laughs> So I, I went over and I was a new nurse at the time. So I went over to my charge nurse and I said, hey, listen, I think this guy has tuberculosis. And she's like, no. And I was like, no, he has tuberculosis. And they fought me on it. They said, you're a new nurse. You don't know what you're talking about. Stay in your lane. And I was like, oh, but I, I do know what I'm talking about. You know, so come to find out he was exposed to tuberculosis working with um, the, the local Iraqis. But I wouldn't have figured to ask that because we don't ask about veteran status or, you know, locations you've been. Because if I ask, have you left the country in the past 30 days? No, he went to Abu Ghraib two years ago. You know, so that grunt style shirt made a difference. That was my spark <laughs> well, to conversation. Well, because you were a veteran, too, though. I mean, you know, so <laughs> right. we, we talked about this on, on your mm-hmm. episode that how important it is for, you know, the medical community to get familiar with uh, veterans and their situations like we're describing here. But I think it's also important as veterans that you become educated Mm -hmm. so that you can then inform the medical community of, no, 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 this, this is serious. There is documented, you know, there's papers out there. Congress is talking about this. There are serious things here that um, you need to run additional tests. I think the challenge that we're going to come up against here though, coming from also the medical community and I was on the health insurance side um, as you guys know, for a period of time after my military service, and is how are we going to get them to then pay for these expensive tests to be able to further identify and triage down to what it truly is? So the Mission Act actually covers that. Trump signed in um, the Mission Act, which covers a lot of the outpatient services. But, you know, it stems down to the doctor's orders. And, you know, you got to have a, a good nursing assessment to request the doctor. But, you know, it's it's a hard situation considering I think it's like 23 to 27% of veterans utilize VA services who served in Iraq, Afghanistan. So we're missing a key population, you know, that 34 to 44 age group, you know, so they're going to the civilian doctors and we're not really picking up on what's going on with them. So, I mean, for, uh, for them to raise awareness, so many of these guys and girls don't know they were exposed. I didn't know I was exposed as a nurse in a medical platoon. <laughs> I had no idea. I was like, oh, I get to blow up bags of gasoline. Awesome. It seems like I'm fun. I like to smell and stuff. (laughs) You know, I never caught on to it. And, um, you know, like, so sitting here, you know, online with Nikki and just going back and forth, you know, with her experience and what can we do? What can we ask? You know, as a nurse, because I can't expect a civilian nurse with no military experience to ask these questions. So we sit here with a group and we just bounce ideas off each other through evidence-based practice and, you know, clinical research, um, and years and years and years of experience. And, and we try to figure out algorithms to help better the outcomes for, for our veterans, because, you know, like, like Tim said, like, these are my friends. This is my, my, my fiance. This is my brother. You know, this is my mother, my father, everybody around me is a veteran. This is Nikki. This is, you know, uh, my instructor. This is everybody. And so, 
with 3.5 to 3.7 million veterans coming back from Iraq and Afghanistan, we really have a problem on our hands. Yeah. And if we don't step up on the, the medical community, I can't prevent your exposure. Primary prevention is out of the out of the screening. Secondary, I can help you with that. You know, I don't want to wait till it gets to stage four glioblastoma like um, Joe Biden's son and you die. You know, I, I can't. That's not OK with me. So we work really hard, you know, just to try to figure out the best way to go about this. And, you know, thankfully to people like Tim and, you know, Colleen Bowman, she's from up in taps in D.C. You know, she does amazing stuff. And and uh, I really think we have a good thing going here. So. Oh, Tim, I mean, you've got your story because of the the people that you serve with and stuff that have already dealt with situations and a history there that, you know, once you start having situations that come up that you need to tell your medical professional, it's like there's more than just what you see here on the surface. Let me tell you about, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I yeah, having a conversation with Nikki a couple weeks back. You know, I would have never known to ask uh, or to tell my doctor that, you know, I was overseas and I should probably have uh, when my blood work is done, telling them, you know, look for heavy metals, look for all these different types of things, right? I would have never known that. Um, you know, so what what we've been doing from Grunstall, you know, to you know, educate our people, because uh, we have a, this incredible, incredible platform. I don't know if you've ever heard about it. It's called Grunstall.com, <laughs> right? <laughs> Where millions of people go through every month uh, to, to make orders. So what I'm doing is uh, we are putting educational leaflets that are going through every order, uh, into every order, um, and over the Black Friday uh, period, we put in a quarter million leaflets, and basically, it's a little education piece. Uh, you know, uh, the wonderful folks at 107 had given us some information. Uh, uh, Rosie Lopez from Burpits 360 gave us some great information, uh, and we condensed it all and we put some good stuff in there um, and said, "Hey." You guys need to be aware, right? So start that, that that awareness piece. Then I'm going to follow it up with some educational pieces of saying, these are the questions that you need to be asking your providers as you're going to get the medical attention that you, you know, that you deserve or that, you know, whatever the case may be, if you're going in to get, you know, a simple, uh, what looks like eczema on your leg, hey, that might not be eczema, right? Um, and, and getting them uh, armed with the right things to, to, to go and make sure that their health is being addressed the right way. Uh, and then, you know, I want to follow that up with making, you know, some legislative changes, right? Is if, if, if I can be, or Grunstall can be part of anything, I want Grunstall to be part of change. That there will, you know, far after I'm gone, that Grunstall will still be around making influential changes to the veteran community. And, and, and that's what uh, we built this platform for. Um, and, you know, I think that we're doing some really great things to make that happen. And, you know, again, I, I got to thank all of uh, the people that have helped uh, give me the information. Uh, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a subject matter expert, but I feel that I've gotten a lot more information now through the wonderful people I've talked to that I can take that information and start educating people um, in, in, a, in a better way. Yeah. Yeah. Education's key. And I mean, you know, nothing hurts me more than when people medical research is medical research. And it's 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 hard to how can I say it? It's hard to kind of find a solution to a problem. Maybe Nikki can explain it better. It's, uh, you know, being a nurse with more experience than me. I mean, yeah, you know, it's it's what we're trying to do is is the evidence based stuff based on, you know, our profession and our expertise in, in healthcare and seeing what we've seen with these guys coming back, you know, and it's, that's a lot of what we're basing our our research off of and and going off of. So, yeah. um, 
it's powerful, right? You know, I said I've seen I've seen some incredible, incredible things. Um, you know, and it, I, what I don't want to ever want to hear the story again is like my friend Frank Hazelwood, my my, my dearest of friends, when you know. He was uh, diagnosed with stage four lung cancer. He died within a year of, of him getting that. And, you know, he was, during that entire time, he was fighting the VA, fighting the VA. And it wasn't five minutes after he died that uh, he was given all of the benefits of what somebody of 100% veteran would have gotten, right? And I don't ever want to hear that story again. I don't ever want to hear about uh, a wife or a husband who's got children or whatever the case may be, a significant other should never have to go through that. When right. we as Americans, it's we knew that what we were doing uh, when we signed that contract, right? We were giving our life for a greater idea. Mm-hmm. But let us die with some fucking dignity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And I mean, that's why we take so much pride in what we do. You know, like I, I have my little book here for research. And I mean, we, you know, the biggest thing with the VA is that they're saying, well, prove it you know, innocent until proven guilty. It's kind of like, you know, legal stuff. But the thing is, what we do is that we can prove it. And we can actually, you know, with the licenses and the background that we have, we can actually sit there and break it down for them and be like, well, see, this is why this happened. Here's a linear, you know, this explains everything from the time of symptoms to exposures to you name it. And I mean, I think that's where we're missing such a big key piece is that research piece, that real research, you know, like that the real hardcore stuff, the the data, the numbers that that are actually looked over and, and observed. And, you know, like I know Nikki off the team that we work with, it's like, you know, I think collectively we all together have spent over 200 years collective military service time. And that's a long time. And I think it's like a hundred years worth of medical experience. And I mean, that stuff's inevitable for stuff like this to happen, to change. And, um, you know, I mean, the government's the government, right? They're they're like you're saying they're not going to want to do or change anything without without data, mm-hmm. and that's you know, I don't know if you've ever like experienced that or have had done any any research, but nobody gives a shit until you show them numbers and statistics right. that mm-hmm. matter, mm-hmm. and that's just <laughs> the government, right? Quantitative. <laughs> you're, yeah. ta- you're talking about an organization that will give a contract to the lowest bidder. Yes. Yeah. Very good point. Still pay millions. Yeah. Exactly. They want all the data, so. but at the end of the day, yeah, it's the lowest bid. Absolutely. But when, it, when it comes down to it, though, it's like, you know, compensation and pension is great. And I mean, benefits, you know, they've helped me out, you know, too easy. But I'm sick and tired of my friends dying. I don't, at the end of the day, I've, I've spoken with Colleen Bowman about this so many times, and she's came to near tears saying, you know, there's no price that can bring back my husband. There is no money that can bring back the father of my children to watch them graduate. And it's true. And it's like, I sit here and I'm like, I don't know if I can have children with my fiance because he's been exposed and no money can replace that, you know? And, and that's on the back burner for me. That's, that's, that's down the road, you know, that will come in time. But, you know, every day we take trying to figure out what's wrong with somebody is a day off their lives. You know, like, uh, Medal of Honor recipient Ron Schuer. You know he. Um, we've had conversations in the past, and he's he's the first one to say, you know, I don't want to be the poster child of you know free stuff, free benefits, and it's it's he's the most humble guy. But he has stage four lung cancer, and he's a young guy. I think he's thirty eight or thirty seven, and there's no price that I can ask his wife. What can I give you to make up for your husband's lung cancer? 
Mm-hmm. There's no price. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, Congress, yeah. take a step back about compensation and pension, and let's look at what we can do to save these people, extend their lives, because, you know. Yeah. Here's a controversial statement, but uh, I would much rather see all my friends have died on the battlefield than to die some from yeah. some ass cancer, right? Yeah. Yeah. And that's a tough statement, and you're not the first one to say that, and you're not the last one to say that. Well, especially that being brought on by something that was avoidable. Had we had the information, now hindsight's twenty twenty. we all get it. I mean, hell, growing up as a kid, we didn't have a garbage company that would come by and pick up. We lived out in a rural location and stuff, so I burned it in a burn pit. You know, that's what we did. We burned our trash. You know, I live in a construction zone. I'm in a neighborhood where there's construction going on around me. What do they do? They burn in a burn pit all their scraps as they're building the house and stuff. So we live around it all the all the time. You know, of course, back then, they're probably was either more toxins or less. I, I can also mm. share that I used to I used to ride my bike behind the bug man and see how long I could hold my breath, you know, before <laughs> that was a game we used to play. Who knows what the hell was in that damn thing killing the mosquitoes. So I mean, there's all kinds of crazy things that we get exposed to throughout our lives and we begin to learn that oh crap, that wasn't a smart idea. Maybe I shouldn't have rode my bike behind that guy, you know? Um but, you know, once we learn that, we have to then move on and start looking at ways to identify who else was exposed who else you know had those same challenges and stuff and by the way i wasn't the only person that ever rode their bike behind the bug man (laughs) i learned that when i started sharing that story there's a but you did that too that was awesome man i used to do that and people across the yeah it was (laughs) everyone that i've talked to at least all the women are always like what you did what (laughs) so (laughs) how would you do that (laughs) yeah wasn't that the first thing they say was wasn't that ddt Uh, i don't know (laughs) Uh, ddt that's a wrestling move (laughs) (laughs) see that's that's how failure though that's how you learn and i mean you guys hit it spot on when you said that failure you've learned from failure and it sticks with you and Mm -hmm. You know, sadly, the more severe the failure or the the loss, the harder it sticks with you. And that's why I do this, you know, and every single day it's like I wake up and I think about this guy who I've never met. I've never met Sergeant Major Robert Bowman, but I think about his wife and his family and, you know, yeah. and it's crazy. And things like that, those losses, those failures, and, you know, it sticks with you. Well, like I, it sticks I, with you. I love what you're doing, Tim, because I think, you know, you're using the way that a method that you have readily available to you, you know, people are buying t-shirts. Well, let's inform the public. And again, these are not just veterans. These are civilians Mm -hmm. who may also be a nurse, a doctor, you know, um, somewhere in the healthcare, health insurance, uh, legislative space who may be receiving these t-shirts and they're also receiving this informative, you know, card that's within that, that brings awareness and if they don't use it they may go hey you know what i know nikki might be able to uh, need this information i know she served this is some serious shit right here i need to get this in you know information to her maybe she needs to know about this right Mm -hmm. so you're doing even i wouldn't say a small part because you guys are huge but you're doing you know a part within your space to do that if every organization that supports works with um, or, or whatever the veteran community or has a, a way to reach the masses would be willing to do something like this. It's a small gesture that could really inform a lot of people very quickly. Podcast yeah. is certainly one way. Your message is another that you're putting within your t-shirt sales uh, and the packages, but there are so many other opportunities that are available out there that we can get the word out. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think if, if it changes one life, Hey, that's right. successful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's right. 
And that's what it's all about. How can Tim? How can people learn more about Grunt Style? I mean, a lot of people are already probably buying your products, but if they're listening to this and they're wanting to learn more about it, you already said your website, GruntStyle.com. Can they also find you guys on uh, Instagram, Facebook, all of the social media through the same way? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we have um, you know, Facebook is obviously one of our larger channels. Instagram, uh, YouTube, which has a lot of our funny content on there. Um, Let's see, where else? You check out my personal one uh, on Instagram. It's uh, GrunStyle1SG. It's a great place. <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, seriously, uh, there's a lot of a lot of ways you can find GrunStyle. We're, we're, we're trying our best to get out there and be uh, as, as vocal as we can with our content. Um, and, you know, at the end of the day, you know, it's more than just T-shirt sales, guys. It's out there. We're trying to make a difference in this country through patriotism and through awareness of, of different initiatives that are important to the veteran community and us as Americans. So, um, um, you know, if, if it's not for you, hey, that's fantastic. But share it with a friend and maybe it is for them. So, um, you know, that's, I think, what the power of uh, social media has done for uh, culture today is that it just, you know, it clues people into a plethora of different things. And it may not be for everybody, but there's somebody out there that you could, you know, take some benefit from it. You're going to extend over to the Brits uh, for Scott and his uh, crew that's over there? Because I know you just said for the love of Americans. So we got to make sure. Oh, that- you know, we, we do. We do a lot. Uh, you would be amazed how much we ship to britain yeah see there you go scott absolutely need to set up a uh, distribution center over there (laughs) (laughs) yeah we thought about time yeah good deal good deal well tim thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule man coming on here and joining us um i i think there's a lot of good information that we talked about here hopefully people will listen to it and get something out of it and uh reach out to you guys buy some of those shirts and and uh, the apparel and products and and learn if nothing else like you said go to gruntstyle.com you're going to learn a lot of information right there on the site oh hey i, I want to say thank you very much for uh, bringing me onto the show it's absolutely been fantastic and um you know i have the honor of working with uh, such incredible people like yourselves um so thank you very much for bringing me into your circle and uh let's let's change the world my friends yeah Absolutely. Chelsea, thank you again for 107 and 107 Foundation. You can also find on Instagram, Facebook and 107 foundation.org. Yeah, we have a a new site launching on the first week of January. And uh, considering none of us are computer people, it's a struggle, but it's, you know, it's in the making. So we get some good (laughs) stuff coming out. And we're also, hold on, we're also, you know, this is kind of one big loop with uh, Global Surgical Medical Support Group. We're trying to uh, get a grant right now to go back overseas to Iraq to study the Iraqi population. Uh, Nikki inspired us to do that. <laughs> so that's exciting. And Tim, Tim's going to come. We need, we need a bodyguard <laughs> with a beard. Yeah. Oh, most yeah. definitely. Yeah. Like homecoming. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he'll bring some of that American bourbon. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah you know, most definitely. Derek will hook us up. So. <laughs> <laughs> nice. But thank you very much.